0: You're listening to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, and my goal is to empower you to become the alpha of your health. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is an interview that I did with Ashley Van Houten. She was back on the podcast probably about two years ago when her book, It Takes Guts, came out. We talked all about organ meat. We talked about her new book. We talked about strength training. And today we dive into nourishing your body for preconception and pregnancy and how nose-to-tail eating can fit in with that, how nutrient density can fit in with that, and how it can help benefit the process and just overall kind of what her journey looked like for that I do apologize for some reason the Zencaster recording platform cut out on us a few times there might be a cut and clip so we might there's there's three different kind of cuts that for some reason happened to us but we got all the information we got all of the audio so everything's here but it just might be a little bit cut for that reason. But anyways, you guys are going to enjoy this podcast. She is a great wealth of knowledge. We had an amazing conversation. She's such a great person. Glad to have her as a social media friend. And uh, without further ado, I hope you enjoy my interview with her. Ashley Van Houten, thank you so much for coming back. You are, this is your second appearance on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you back. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. I, we were just reminiscing the first time we had you on was when you released your first book, which that was two years ago at this point, almost over two years ago.
1: It like feels like forever. And also a week ago, I just, I really feel like since 2019 time moves differently. It totally does.
0: It totally (laughs) does. But that was a hit. I mean, I remember people were like trying liver for the first time, trying heart for the first time, trying all these fun recipes. So And then you transitioned, you just wrote another book last year that's kind of like a mix, right? Carnivore-ish?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the first book I definitely wrote thinking that maybe I'd get, like, my friends to buy it, like, out of pity. And I really did end up finding, like, a community of people that was bigger and more enthusiastic than I ever expected. I'm super grateful for that. I mean, you know, you think about... Hunters, you think about um, I don't know, carnivore meat-based folks and just people who are interested in learning more, people who want to be a little bit more mindful about their meat eating. The nose-to-tail approach really makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, carnivore ish, which is the the recent book that came out um in 2021, that's really honestly, it's more about just well-rounded meals. We kind of gave it that little bit of sort of provocative name because you can't you can't sell a cookbook that just says like well-rounded meals. Like that's not, that's not sexy. That's (laughs) not interesting. But the idea was that we wanted a cookbook in the healthy eating section that had meat front and center. Because if you go to the healthy eating section of Barnes and Noble or wherever you get books, it's all plant-based. It's all Mm -hmm. vegan vegetarian because that has, has become so synonymous with healthy, which is a whole rabbit hole. uh, You know, we could go down, we don't have to, but I, I wanted to just show more options and especially for women, because that is sort of our target audience that that we specifically as women have a whole host of, of um, issues and struggles around food, around protein, around animal protein. We're really targeted um, to eat sort of plant-based. That's, that's, you know, something that women have to face and so we just wanted to show people like look you don't have to be a carnivore you don't have to eat two pounds of ground beef every day you don't have to be plant-based either you can find this sort of healthy sustainable nourishing satiating place in the middle um, that can be beneficial to your health and also taste good so really that's what the next book is about
0: yeah i love it and i love how it's broken up too like you have chicken game you know, beef, and then you've got still some offal or you know nose to tail mm-hmm. stuff, but it's nice because you have like the sides. I have that sitting in my kitchen, so if ever we're like, I don't know what I'm making tonight, we just kind of open it and we're like, all
1: right, we're doing that. I appreciate that. That makes me very happy. It's I love it.
0: I mean, the same thing with I have the other one right here. I pro- I made a lot of the recipes there. The liver mousse though, that was a winner for Thanksgiving. People like had no idea that it was liver. I made it a few
1: two years ago. I love it. I tell people like with the organ meat book, you know, there there are very few people who would make like every single recipe in that book cuz there's a lot there's some adventurous out there stuff, but yes. I would I would guess that like anybody really who's open-minded at all about about eating animals, you could find something you like in there. Um, and you totally. might be surprised. So it's worth worth giving it a shot.
0: Totally. Like the bone marrow, very mm-hmm. like entry level. Mm-hmm. Right? Bone yeah. broth, very entry level.
1: Yeah. I think it's surprising to a lot of people how how mild and easy to eat a lot of organ meats are, because in the sort of main conversation, the first thing you you hear about is liver, right? Liver is always, mm-hmm. it's kind of like the king of the organ meats. It's the, the most nutrient dense. And so that's what people think of when they think of organ meats. And it is a very nutritious cut of meat. And if you can find ways to enjoy it, that's excellent for your health, but you don't have to eat liver and you don't have to eat liver all the time. There's lots of other things that are, are delicious. And, you know, bone marrow is on a ton of uh, menus and lots of restaurants because it's so delicious. Um, oh and even God, things God. like sweetbreads and and heart is a relatively mild tasting um, organ. So there's a lot of things you can enjoy if you're kind of just willing to get outside your comfort zone a little and, and try some different things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Kind of taking it back a second, for people who might not have listened to the previous episode with you, I know we talked a lot about organ meats. We talked a lot about like sustainability with it. What is your background? How did you get to where you are now? I know that you were in the fitness space for a long time and then typically being in the fitness space, I would be stereotypically thinking, okay, this person wouldn't be as interested in organ meats and all these kind of nose tail but i love how you bridged those gaps where you want to try to eat whole balanced nutrient dense meals but you also want to be able to do a pull-up and be strong and mm. feel good like i love how you have both of that so what is your background with all that and how did you kind of get to where you are now
1: yeah i'll try to be as succinct as possible because you know i'm a talker i kind of do that for a living so i'll try we not to it like, make yeah, this take, take too long <laughs> um but you know really like my my educational background is really more in like communications and writing like I wanted to be a journalist um growing up I love writing and that's why it was so exciting for me to like publish these cookbooks there's a real like storytelling writing element to it I didn't want it to just be like here are some recipes I wanted to like invite people in and tell a story because the communication part of it is important to me um but I've always been into fitness and strength. I've always been, even though this word isn't cool anymore, like a foodie in that I love being adventurous with eating. I love trying new things. I love trying new cuisines. I've always had this attitude that food is such a low-risk way to like experiment with new things because if you try something and you don't like it, like what you you're not losing out. You just learn something and you can move on. Um but if you try something new and you do like it, that's that's a pretty awesome like addition to your life if you find some new cuisine or new food or new thing that you enjoy. So it kind of was like a long process. In my twenties and 30s, this has been like an ongoing thing for me becoming an entrepreneur of melding the things that I was good at, which is like writing and research and communication, with the things that I love, which is learning about fitness and strength and nutrition. So um, I, you know, started writing for publications like Paleo Magazine back when that was around. And it was a great publication for a long time. And through that work, I was able to make connections with just so many um, thought leaders and experts in the ancestral health world in the just sort of, you know, keto, paleo, carnivore, just general nutrition and wellness. And um, I ended up taking over their podcast. And so it was really just a process over many years of Gathering information and trying things out for myself personally, um, and through that, developing you know strength and, and fitness programs for, for you mostly for women. I do health coaching and I work with everybody, but it's always been a passion of mine to, to help women get strong because I think there's a real empowering. Um, confidence building element that, that I think a lot of women need and, and can benefit from um, to learn about physical competence and learn what their bodies are capable of and to not have that so closely related with aesthetics and the value that we place on that. I mean, again, that's another rabbit hole we all want to look oh at. That that's great. the one that
0: you got into in your podcast today that I was like, oh my God, I could talk to her about that forever. Cause I have
1: so many thoughts on that too, but I mean, I'm happy to talk about it. It's it's a very layered uh, conversation, but I think that, I mean, to to just go through that quickly and then we can go back to it. Like, I think that while it's natural and normal for everyone to want to look good, I think it's really crucial for human beings' sense of self-worth and confidence to have other things going for them than being hot, right? I think that's very important. And so learning how to do a pull-up um, building muscle and strength, learning these physical skills, whether it's sports or whatever it is, I think that's really, really important. And so that was that's something I've I've pursued with creating my own programs, um, and the podcast that I have now, Muscle Science for Women, where we just dive into these topics that historically have been studied and researched and talked about by men for men. And you know, mm-hmm. again, there's there's a place for that. And I've I grew up listening to lots of. Broey podcasts and reading all the muscle books that are all about dudes and you can extrapolate some information, but there needs to be more women-focused um, conversation about that. So that's kind of where I am there. I mean, the, the organ meat cookbook writing part of it was, again, I was Doing a lot of this like paleo ancestral health stuff for myself and kind of the next evolution of that was how to be as ethical and mindful and 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 not wasteful as possible, right? If I'm going to be eating a lot of animals, which I do. And so I started kind of diving into the organ meat, like eating the whole animal thing. And I was experimenting with that, um, for myself and I was sharing it a little bit here and there on social media and people were like interested. Some people were grossed out and some people were fascinated. And I realized like, Hey, maybe there's a opportunity here for me to, to do something with this and provide a resource for people who are interested. Like I am, um, you know, not an expert. I'm not a chef. I'm not like a... formally trained chef I'm somebody who kind of figured this out as they went and so I'm the perfect example of if you want to do it you can because you don't need special skills you don't need to have grown up eating anything in particular to to try these things so um, it's been really fun because I mean basically my job is just learning and learning about the things that I'm interested in and sharing it with other people who can benefit too I'm very fortunate to have that that work in my life.
0: That's awesome. It's super fulfilling. And I think what you said about not growing up and not being a chef, I think a lot of people are like, I don't know what to make. Like, I don't know how to cook. I think a lot of people in kind of this generation, we didn't grow up in the kitchen with our parents. Because I think about like I was running to and from sports, like my mom's bringing stuff and like dinner's kind of ready when we get home from sports. Like I wasn't around to and I probably didn't take advantage as much as I could. But then when I was on my own, I'm like, Like this is a really rude awakening, (laughs) you know, like this is a really rude awakening, but I figured it out and I don't think it needs to be like, you don't need to have a complete upbringing in it to make, like, I would look at your cookbook and be like, oh she, I bet her, I bet she's been making that her whole entire life. Like, but you, you haven't. Absolutely not.
1: Yeah, I, I have the exact same sort of situation as you, and I think maybe there's also generational things. I'm not speaking for mm-hmm. everybody because a lot of, a lot of families and a lot of cultures, especially, place more importance on like cooking and cooking together and enjoying meals mm-hmm. together and things like that. But there are, you know, maybe some generational things where it was more about like what can we get on the on the table quickly and just eat whatever, and maybe even less um, importance placed on nutrition. Maybe certain generations. Anyway, um, so I, yeah, I, I was not a confident, uh, chef at all. And really still am not. And, you know, my mom laughed. She's like, if I had guessed when you were a teenager that you were going to be writing cookbooks like that, it would never have happened. Um, but that's it. It's just like, you know, these are valuable skills and you don't have to be a professional and you don't have to be good. You just have to be willing to try really. So true. And like you
0: said about
1: the sustainability piece,
0: I find one that the organ meats are the cheapest cuts of meat that I get. I'll get a pound over a pound of liver for $3. I mean, mm-hmm. I can get a pound of ground beef for maybe five to seven, but not three. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, really affordable. It's a, it could be a very affordable way to add a lot more nutrition to your diet if you're willing to incorporate
1: it. Absolutely. And I tell people too, even if you're somebody who's looking to eat less meat, you know, I don't know, I, I'm not gonna judge whatever your your journey is. If you recognize that animal p- protein is healthy and nutritious, but you don't want to eat a ton of it, a great option is organ meats because they are so nutritionally dense that ounce for ounce, you're getting so much more out of liver and heart than you are from like chicken breast, for example. So mm-hmm. it's a great option if you are trying to be budget conscious and you're trying to eat less meat overall.
0: Exactly. A hundred percent. So one thing that I know is unique to your journey within kind of the last year, year and a half is you were pregnant and now you're postpartum. And mm-hmm. I would love to hear about what, how your if your ch- style of eating changed, how you kind of adapted to this place where your body was at and what kind of preconception looked like for you, <clears throat> pregnancy, nutrition, and now obviously postpartum kind of seeing you know, how you were able to incorporate all that. And then we can kind of get into how you're feeding uh, your son, which I love looking at like all that you're feeding him. Cause I'm like, he is going to be like the strongest, most resilient
1: human (laughs) in this entire planet. (laughs) I hope so. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, yeah, thank you. And just like, honestly, interrupt me as I rant. Cause I could just talk about this forever. You know, like I I just, I'm it's it's such a it's like a massive part of my life right now obviously like you roll like people who don't have kids like roll their eyes like oh somebody has a kid and they're like this boring parent now and it's like kind of yeah because it's like that's (laughs) that's what's going on in my life you know um and I always like to caveat whenever I talk about this stuff like prenatal and postpartum nutrition and stuff like that I'm not an expert um And This stuff, just like any health or nutrition journey, is so bio-individual that I don't want anyone thinking that whatever I'm saying is what they should be doing. I do have opinions about what I think are good nutrition concepts generally for most people, um, and that's why I talk about it. But Mm-hmm. you you know you have to do your own due diligence and your own research and think about what feels good for you. So I just, I always like to do that kind of disclaimer because, you know, you see on, on social media, people who are like, oh, you do like one bodybuilding competition and now you're a coach or you have like one kid and now you're a kid expert. And it's like, I don't want to come across that way. I right. did do a lot of research. I did a lot of work. I've talked to a lot of experts. I do have like a, a little resource on my website for, for, women who want to become pregnant or who are pregnant that I think is helpful, but I'm not a, you know, prenatal nutritionist. I just want to, you know, I just like to put that disclaimer out before I talk and then I'll tell you all my opinions. It's also
0: (laughs) so valid here, like knowing like how much research you did and then applying it to you because you're right. Like your prenatal might look different than mine. Well, but like there might have very similar core values. So I think that's the majority of what I want people to be able to take away is like what you learning what's out there and what's available that might be I don't know, maybe it's conventional and conventional, but maybe it's not. Um, maybe mm-hmm. they wouldn't hear it from like their OBs. So it's just nice to be able to have those yes. different options.
1: And there is a lot of crazy, weird misinformation, very fear-based Weird advice out there for pregnant women. And so, like, this fear based thing is huge. So, uh, there is crappy information out there. So, you got to like parse it out for yourself. But, like, I, like I said, I was doing a ton of research. I was like downloading all these apps, I was listening to all these podcasts. I'm just one of those people who likes to, it's like actually less anxiety inducing for me to just take it all in and then figure it out. And some of the crate, like just it's nuts out there. Like pregnant women, get your protein, like make sure you eat enough peanut butter. Like these are the sources of like, it's just crazy. So, um, anyway, going back to my own experience, um, you know, I, I, the short answer is I did eat quite different differently in my prenatal and even postpartum nutrition than I normally did leading up to leading up to getting pregnant, I would consider myself a like very high protein, paleo style, low carb approach. And by low carb, I, I'm never keto. I'm never zero carb. I don't personally find that, you know, enjoyable or necessary. Um, but I was eating like much lower carb probably than like a traditional, um, diet, right? Like, you know, I don't know, like, any maybe 100 grams of protein, or sorry, uh, carbs a day or something like lower, you know, Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and I certainly higher fat than is typical, certainly higher protein. And when I became pregnant, I, my carbs went up significantly. And they, to be honest with you, I'm like 15 months postpartum now, they're still higher. And that's something that I'm just starting to kind of think about changing now, Um, I'm still nursing, not very often. Um, so the sort of breastfeeding requirements are much lower Mm -hmm. than they, they were. Um, but I think one of the big lessons that I took during my, my period of being pregnant and then like the solid year postpartum is, um, priority shifting, being adaptable, being flexible. And it's so cliche, but just listening to your body, I feel like women especially, we've been conditioned to ignore what our body is telling us and listen to outside sources instead. So eat low fat, eat hardly any food, do a ton of cardio because that's what's going to make you skinny. And that's what's important when our bodies are screaming for nutrition um, and screaming to, to relax and not overtrain and all of these things, right? And there's so much guilt. And, you know, I've worked with clients and there's just so much guilt around allowing our bodies to eat more and allowing our bodies to rest more. And I am proud of myself that I really took this to heart. And I thought as soon as I was pregnant, I was like, this is my priority. Of course, I still want to be fit and strong. I don't want to lose muscle. I don't want to lose fitness, but I am going to adjust as needed to have the healthiest pregnancy I possibly can. And if that means eating more carbs, great zero guilt. If that means working out less, fantastic. You know, I got to do what I got to do. And there mm-hmm. were some pretty significant changes. Um, did you make
0: any changes to your preconception nutrition? Like, did, were you more mindful of like adding more liver, like, or were you kind of just sticking to kind of your baseline? Cause that worked for you.
1: Yeah, this is a good question. And again, this is my personal experience and I believe that the way that I eat helped me get pregnant quickly. I can't say right Mm -hmm. now because I eat liver, I got pregnant easily. I don't think it hurt though. Um, and I will say, you know, I was in my mid thirties when I got pregnant, um, which is not old, but it's also not young. And, uh, you know, my doctor at the time I had a family doctor was like, look, if you're looking to become pregnant, you should get on a prenatal. Like you should start thinking about micronutrients. You should start thinking about things like folate, whatever. And I was like, cool. Um, you know, that was at the very beginning of like the conversation. And then like, literally my partner and I were like, Hey, do you, maybe we'll have a kid. And like three weeks later I was pregnant. Like there was no, there was no attempt to change my diet. And I wouldn't, to be honest with you, I wouldn't have changed my diet because I was eating super nutrient dense foods. It was fine. I, there was, you know, I was having a regular cycle. Like I felt healthy and good. It was a perfect time to get pregnant. Um, Clearly your body felt safe enough. You know, it felt healthy enough this is it and I think that again like there's there's a ton of genetics and there's a ton of luck that goes into getting pregnant quickly but there is also certainly an element of did my body feel safe was I well nourished was was I having you know like healthy cycles all of these things and that was what was happening so I didn't you know liver was my prenatal vitamin with that said <laughs> I did I did go on a prenatal a lot of people ask me this like oh you know mm-hmm. are prenatals like a racket and do you need it if you're eating healthy like I think about mm-hmm. it like an Insurance policy. Um, I don't think that personally, I don't think that there's like a net negative to taking prenatal. I think, if anything, it's most people should. Um, Mm -hmm. And I did, but I, you know, it wasn't, I think, maybe as crucial as it might be for some other folks. Um, Yeah, like the
0: standard American, like they probably 100% like need that. Whereas you were getting the choline, you're getting the folate, B12, riboflavin, for so many of the things, but you're, like you said, it's not going to hurt you. I have so many people where. I mean, I just take liver, desiccated liver as a multi and kind mm-hmm. of like prenatal, but then there's some people that I work with there. They're like, I'll take part of that, but I also want to take a prenatal. Cause I feel like I need to, I'm like, you can do whatever right. you want to do.
1: Absolutely. It's not going to hurt you. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And I mean, yeah. So basically when I, I got pregnant, I just, I was fortunate. I didn't have a ton of like morning sickness, nausea symptoms. I had a couple of weeks there at the beginning where I felt pretty rough, but like I never, I didn't really have major aversions. So again, I was very fortunate that I could kind of continue my diet throughout. And I did, I continued to eat a lot of animal products. I continued to eat organ meats. Um, I did continue to eat some foods that maybe again, conventional North American wisdom says, like, avoid when you're pregnant. And we can talk about that if you want. But I the biggest change was that my body was like, eat carbs. And so I did. And I ate like, for example, I ate a lot more fruit when I was pregnant. Um, Mm -hmm. Normally, and I have nothing against fruit. I just honestly, like, if I'm trying to be in any way, mindful of like my overall calorie intake, I usually just don't find a ton of fruit to be like, worth it for me like i'll eat some berries and stuff but like i don't you know Mm -hmm. i'm not like craving apples and bananas um but i craved more fruit for sure and so i ate it
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: uh i ate like i was eating you know gluten-free toast at breakfast and i was eating oatmeal and um you know, just kind of whatever. Like I just ate a lot, a lot more carbs and I never tracked it. I have no idea Mm -hmm. if my carbs went up from 150 grams to 250 or more or less. I have no idea. I don't, I didn't need to track. I didn't feel like that was beneficial. Um, as long as I was like gaining weight appropriately, feeling okay, Mm -hmm. felt healthy. My digestion was okay. All the markers that I normally look for, they were still good. I was just going with it. Um, and that kind of worked for me. Good. That's awesome. It's funny. I feel, I feel
0: very like with fruit, like in the winter, I'm not as much like, I don't need a banana. I, we have some apples left over that I'm like baking and having, but like, I feel like it's very seasonal and it's very Mm -hmm. like you're in Canada. You're not going to probably get like papayas and pineapple and like all these fresh things for the majority of, (laughs) of the, so I, I feel like my fruit cravings are very seasonal or climate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's really interesting. And you kind of are going more towards like heartier. Do you do uh, like potatoes and sweet potatoes or anything Absolutely. like that? Yep.
1: Yeah. Yep. I mean, rice, like this is another thing I, I've, I feel like maybe at the beginning of my like paleo time, and this is now over well over a decade ago, I was a bit more dogmatic about like foods mm-hmm. that are good and bad. And now mm-hmm. I'm much more come around to the idea that like foods are only good or bad foods Specifically to you, based on how you feel about it. And even then, mm-hmm. there's no morality about it. There's no like how, you know, you made a terrible decision. It's just like if you ate some food that is not nutritious and it didn't make your body feel good, that's a decision and you kind of learn from it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tolerate rice really well. I tolerate oatmeal really well. I, to be honest with you, I don't really have any. Um, any issues with like gluten or any of these, except for Mm -hmm. if I eat a ton of gluten, if I eat a ton of sugar, maybe I'll feel a bit bloated or maybe I'll, I'll gain weight, but like none of it makes me ill. So it's like, I do all these things in moderation. And I think that moving into a place where I'm less dogmatic, less black and white allows me to not have such, um, emotionally driven feelings about food. And like, I can just kind of enjoy it and move on. Um, which I think is again, in the long term a healthier place to be, if you can, if you can get there.
0: Absolutely. I totally agree. Um, how many times a week were you incorporating maybe more nose-to-tail or bone broth or anything like that? What is what does that usually look like for you, or did it change at all when you were pregnant um compared to now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think generally speaking, I try to do something organ meat related. Once or twice a month, which might surprise people that that's it's not like more. Um, but you know, when I was going through the process of the cookbooks, I was doing a ton of it, and to be honest with you, like I finished the cookbook, I'm like, don't show me organ meats for a while, like, I'm really over it. Because again, you know, I promote this stuff and I encourage it, and I think it's great, but it's not the most hyper palatable food in the world. That's kind of the whole point. You need to, like, you need to you need to move into it because it's nutritious and you can find ways to enjoy it. It's not like you're not eating chocolate cake. Like this isn't whatever. So I kind of like was burnt out a little bit after the cookbook, but now I just try to incorporate it into my life. So it's not this big thing. I got to sit down and choke down some liver. It's just once a month, once or twice a month, I'll have some roasted bone marrow. I'll have, um, we'll cook up a beef heart and slice it and put it in our food for a few days. I'll make Mm -hmm. that chicken liver mousse because it's delicious. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's really kind of how I stayed with it. Like every time we do, we do like a big, um, meat order once a month from like a local farm and there's always chicken livers, chicken hearts, um, Marrow bones, um, one maybe larger heart, a tongue, maybe beef tongue really good. Um, and we mm-hmm. just kind of throw it in, throw it in when we feel like it. Um, you know, just I think that's enough. I don't think that I think that's super to... doable. Yes. Like is. that's
0: very doable. Because yeah. sometimes part of me is like, I, you know, and there there will be times where I mean, there was one time where I think I, I had it in ground meat and I ended up having it for a few days in a row. I'm like, wow, that was a lot. Like, but it didn't feel like a lot. But then there's weeks where it's like, oh, wow, we, you know, we didn't have any today, but it is so nutrient dense that it's not something that you, that you no. f- should feel pressured. Like you need to have all the time. I mean, if you want to, there's some times where like, I crave it. Like my husband's mm-hmm. downstairs right now. I made beef, heart, liver, and then, um, ground beef just together for lunches for the weekends. Like, I'm really nice. looking forward to those. Cause you know, you can hide it, throw some raw cheese on it. I mean, I don't even feel Delicious. like you need to hide it It's just because it's chicken liver, but, but still like you know, it ebbs and flows. So I feel like that's more doable. Whereas I feel like there's some people that you see online where it's like, they're having three ounces a few times a day. And it's like, Oh, I don't know, like, maybe that's for you. And that's great. But if you're kind of getting into it, and you're maybe thinking about preconception and pregnancy, and like, I don't feel like that's doable, then maybe you just kind of tiptoe into that type of approach, which I feel like is very sustainable, and very doable.
1: I mean, I think we should, I guess this is a are you still there? I think I yeah, I'm disconnected for a second.
0: And see, no, that did. All right, where did we get off there? I don't even. You were saying um.
1: Yes. I was saying
0: doable. Like, what your your approach is very doable. Sorry, we got cut off there. No, that's okay. I, I
1: I was saying like I um I and I don't want this to come across again like prescriptive. Like it's annoying when people say you should you should. But mm-hmm. I think that if we if most of us start looking at some of these health behaviors with an attitude of minimum effective dose versus how much do I have to do to like be the healthiest best version of myself like for things to be sustainable for us to stick to things for lifelong health and longevity we can't always be doing the most you know, and sometimes Mm -hmm. we need to do less. And so I, I know that human beings, we have this attitude of like, well, if I do this, it's good. So if I do twice as much, that's twice as good. That's not the case. That's very rarely the case. And so I think, especially with things that are a bit tougher or more challenging, like if we're talking about Training. If we're talking about eating food that is not our favorite or whatever, like you don't, you don't have to do the most. Sometimes you can just do the minimum effective dose to get health benefits to, you know, like I've noticed over the many years now that I've adopted this dietary approach that again, I'm sick way less. I'm sick way less than most people I know. And again, knock on wood. I'm not invincible, but I just notice that right. I, I get sick less. You know, my cycle is great. My skin is pretty good. My digestion is good. Like it's just, I'm not a superhuman. I'm just a well-functioning human because I'm doing these basic, simple, sustainable, consistent um, lifestyle behaviors that make me a resilient person so that I can go eat some junk or like work really hard at the gym or have a couple nights of crappy sleep, like live your life. Mm -hmm. But because Mm -hmm. you're doing these foundational things, you're, you can, you're resilient. You can get through it, you know? And I think it's like this, this cycle that we see. And again, this is what I see with a lot of clients of like just going so hard and trying to be so perfect and restricting so much. And then you fall off that cliff and you eat a bunch of crap for a while or you give up Mm -hmm. or you're depressed about it or you're whatever. It's like, we don't have to like just, trying, try to be the best all the time. Just be good. <laughs> just be good. I'm not exactly. telling you to settle, but like, just try to, you know, find that happy, sustainable place in the middle that will make you healthy and, and happy for the most part. I think that's like, maybe again, I'm getting old. So I'm like trying, le- I'm trying, like, I have less like ambition to like, Oh, I need to be the strongest, fittest person. I'm like, I'm cool with just being pretty strong and pretty fit and, and healthy and not sick, you know? Exactly anyway which is
0: not a bad thing to live by nope. um did you have any any food aversions at all or any crazy cravings throughout your pregnancy
1: yeah so for like one week at the beginning because the first trimester usually is the the hardest for um for most people for like aversions and nausea because it's just and i feel like-, like a lot of the
0: aversions are me
1: and' a, a lot of people that i work with it, and it's, it's like common. they're like i
0: need to eat it because it's i know it's so good but it's I know that so many people get crazy aversions.
1: It is it is common. And again, I don't have like a ton of, of research to back this up. I do think that some people just, again, genetically can handle that massive influx of hormones better than other people. Like my mother mm-hmm. had four kids and she never had she never had morning sickness. I feel like I probably was lucky enough to get some of that handed down to me. But I also mm-hmm. think that having this really high nutrient diet going into it also helped me like I think if you're going into being pregnant with like carb crashes being a part of your life with like Mm -hmm. digestive issues being a part of your life with not eating a lot of protein it's gonna make it harder um so the only Mm -hmm. I did like my my um my sense of smell went up so like certain things like cooking fish and stuff I was like
0: "Hmm, I don't
1: I don't love it I would still I could still eat it I wasn't like a huge I was more sensitive to it There was like a hot minute there where I could not drink coffee, which was crazy Mm. because like this is my favorite thing. And it's the reason I get up in the morning is to have my like nice (laughs) coffee. And that was pretty gross, but it lasted like a week or two. I did have some cravings that I thought were interesting. So like I said, going back to the fruit thing, and I was quite pregnant in the summer. So I think some of that was like Hydrate yourself, and yep. you know, drink
0: the minerals. And yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So I liked like watermelon, and I was just I was crushing a lot of watermelon, a lot of citrus. So maybe there's some mm-hmm. vitamin C issues going on there. Um, and then the two like unhealthy, quote unquote, foods that I craved a lot and I did indulge in fairly regularly were breakfast sandwiches. So I think I just wanted like salty and carbs. Like I wanted an egg and bacon and cheese on some kind of carb and I could make my own healthier version at home. Sometimes I didn't, sometimes I ate the unhealthy version, but it was so deeply satisfying. It was really good. And even then, like, I'm always trying to like balance things out. I'm like, look, I'm getting protein. It's not like it's devoid of protein. I'm doing okay. I don't want to eat these for every meal, but like it satisfied me. So I'm like, I'm going to do this. So breakfast sandwiches were one. And then another really weird one that I've heard from other people, and I don't know what this is cinnamon buns cinnamon buns I don't know if the cinnamon something pregnant women want cinnamon or maybe it's just because I feel like cinnamon
0: sh- helps progesterone production I feel like I've heard that somewhere
1: so I mean maybe that's a thing because I, I thought that was like my own special thing because I like like a cinnamon bun and I just really wanted mm-hmm. one but I I mentioned it to some pregnant women they're like I like was just thinking about cinnamon buns so I'm like okay I guess that's, that's so thing. crazy yeah so I, I did end up putting like I was making my own sort of like high protein gluten-free like a little mug cakes at home and I was putting cinnamon on everything but I I also went out and like got a couple legit cinnamon buns every now and then it was it was good so those were my cravings yeah
0: yeah and that's not bad and I feel like because you I mean one thing in pregnancy that we have to worry about is uh, unstable blood sugar because of the progesterone production that you're making can make those blood sugar swings crazier. So because of the fact that you thankfully were still able to really prioritize protein, I feel like that really, like, even if you were going to have those things, it's not going to send you into a tailspin.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, I, 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 again, I did have some things that I struggled with during my pregnancy, which I think probably every woman who's been pregnant in the history of the world has had. It's not easy, I think, for the majority of people. But in terms of, I feel like hormonally and nutritionally, I was pretty good with that. And a lot of it is like just the years of research and and work that I've done on myself. Um, but I think it also like impacted like my my mood. Like I generally mm-hmm. did not. People warned me about you know, these emotional, hormonally driven, like mood swings, and you're going to be crying and upset and this and that and all the time. And like, I certainly had some moments, but I felt I really like looking back, I was like, I was pretty even keel. Like, I feel, again, very fortunate. Um, Mm -hmm. And I do think like nutrition, and probably, of course, the exercise part of it um, had something to do with that, because it can be a very stressful, very emotional. Oh, shoot, you're offline. Great chat either way, but I will be sad if... uh, If like half of this doesn't (laughs) record, that will
0: suck. I think I I caught it when it keeps cutting out. Sorry guys. We keep, I don't know what's happening. This is like malfunctioning. So, um, internet resuming our last, um, you were talking, okay.
1: I think, I think, I think we were talking about just sort of, again, Oh, because you went
0: into your pregnant. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Did you, so you said you had uh normal cycles, like everything was good with your hormones. I have a theory that the more obviously balanced you are, the less symptoms that you have associated with your menstrual cycle before going into pregnancy. I have a theory that, I mean, that's not even a theory. Like that has to be backed up that you have less hormone imbalances going in, that that's going to be a little bit more sound. So I bet that that helped you be a little bit more stable in your mood. Whereas if your cycles were irregular or if you had PMS or you had these things like that's just going to be completely exacerbated when your body's pumping out even more hormones.
1: Yeah, I would think so. And I mean, I, this is something you would know more about than me, but I, you know, I was on hormonal birth control forever, you know, growing mm-hmm. up, like I think many people um, and I went off it, um, you know, at a certain point cause I just didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and when I went off and I had to like experience what an actual, period is. And as an adult, it was horrible. It was like a nightmare. Um, and I still thought I was pretty like healthy and well-rounded and stuff. My periods were like, they were, I I believe they're within the realm of normal, but having not had a real one for most of my adult life, I was like, ugh, like this sucks. And right. I had heard horror stories that postpartum your periods can be like way worse, like more painful, mm-hmm. heavier, all of those things. And I actually got, I mean, whatever TMI, uh, whatever. No I such thing. Period, no such thing as TMI. Good. I got my period like five months postpartum. I was still heavily breastfeeding and I was kind of told you don't get it until you like taper off the breastfeeding. So I was like a little bit disappointed because I was like, let's ride this out as long (laughs) as possible. Um, But I did get my period back like relatively quickly. And um, I will say it's probably a little bit heavier than than pre baby, but it's I I don't have any PMS. I have very little pain. And so, again, I'm thinking like I think I'm doing things right. I don't know what the science is why some people have a harder time postpartum versus not, but I do think focusing on postpartum nutrition and taking my like recovery really slowly, like not busting back into hardcore workouts and new and food restriction and all of those things. I think it really helped get my cycle back, um, in a healthy way, which Mm -hmm. again, it takes patience. Um, you know postpartum I did things way more slowly than I probably even needed to and I I don't regret it but it's hard it's difficult because you do have this desire to just get back to normal and mm-hmm. be the same way you were before and I know I understand that that call but I think um I just really think that that period of a woman's life is so singular and so unique and so epic and the stuff that we are doing our bodies are doing is so crazy and we often don't give it the respect and the like awe and the reverence that we should and we want to try to just go get lean again and get fit again and get back to what we Mm -hmm. were doing and do all this stuff. It's like, just be in this like crazy whirlwind time of like what your body's doing and how it's healing and how it's coming back together. It's amazing. Like, just, just relax a little, take it slower maybe than you think you should. And I think you Mm -hmm. might um, benefit from that.
0: That, Totally. I mean, we're always thinking of the next thing instead of just being present and wanting, understanding that this is like a different period of life that is people just need to kind of, like you said, enjoy that state that they're in and give their body grace. Is there anything that you added in any different than preconception and pregnancy to help your body recover a little bit better or, um, support breastfeeding or anything like that comp- differently than what you were doing before?
1: So you mean like in the postpartum period? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah i i have read and i've done some research that your nutritional needs may actually be more in the postpartum period than in pregnancy you know mm-hmm. by a couple hundred calories or something because if you are breastfeeding that takes a massive amount of energy it's something like 20 percent of your body's energy is going to breastfeed. like it's it's Crazy. a huge amount better than any workout you could do um and you are healing you are healing from um and I don't use this word in a negative context, but like a pretty traumatic physical experience that like your body needs yeah. to work very hard to heal from. Um, so I would say I, I guess probably I just ate a little bit more again, kept to those high carbs, high protein, high fat, high everything, just eating whatever I wanted. Um, and not in any way trying to restrict or think about weight loss in any capacity, just feed yourself so that you can feed your kid and so that you can heal. Mm -hmm. Um, and I took it, like I said, I just took it very slow. Um, in terms of like physical movement and exercise and getting back into a routine, I was like sitting around breastfeeding and going for slow walks for like a solid month or two after um and even like resuming gym workouts or workouts like it just was painstakingly slow and mm-hmm. humbling and modest getting back into it.
0: Did you work out much through throughout pregnancy?
1: I mean, the one area that I I was pretty naive is I was like, I'm totally going to be that like fit pregnant lady that's like doing pull-ups when she's seven months pregnant. Like I was planning for it. I was like, can't wait. Can't wait to do these weighted (laughs) pull-ups with like a big pregnant belly. (laughs) No, um, I... I stopped doing pull-ups. I think I remember I was like 23 weeks and I didn't, I popped pretty late. And when I did pop, I had a huge belly, but like, I wasn't, I didn't look super pregnant until probably like seven months. But I feel like a lot
0: of first moms say that it's like, what when you pop, you pop.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I remember going to the gym and I was had like this little belly, like probably wouldn't really notice unless you were looking at me, but, and I tried to do a pull-up and I could feel my like ab muscles doing something like not cool. And I was like, okay, yeah. and we're done. And again, this is, this is the time when a lot of people will be like, you know, fight through it. I got to keep my strength up. Like it's fine. No, when you're pregnant and your body is giving you signals that you're doing something that isn't working, stop doing it and do something else. There are always so many other movements you can do. Like we're worried about our, our ab muscles. Your ab muscles are going to stretch and separate during your pregnancy. Focus, mm-hmm proper breathing focus on stability don't try to be doing ab workouts when you have a giant purse baby in your stomach like work on some other strength stuff you can still work on uh again like stability and mobility and and strength without actively uh you know hurting yourself so i Mm -hmm. i still moved i did i had like a weekly um Stair workout that I did. There's a set, there's a very, very high set of stairs outdoors around where I live. And I kind of made it like this cool tradition. And my husband would come with me most of the time. Sometimes I'd get a girlfriend or two. And we'd go up and down those stairs a few times. Great workout that's low impact, strength, cardio. I could go as slow as I wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got like tons of props and high fives from people who were walking up and down the stairs that were like, look at you with your like belly hauling up these stairs. So that made me feel good. So I did, I did stair workouts. I did tons of walking. Um, and I did still go to the gym. It was, it was hit or miss because it was again, pandemic times. And I lived in like a pretty locked down part of Canada. So like the gyms weren't open a lot, um, when they were, Mm -hmm. and I kind of stuck to like, again, sort of low volume, low impact bodybuilding. So, um, which I think is great for people who like, you know, as soon as I got any kind of belly I was like my feet are not are not leaving the ground like I see some of these pregnant women doing these like plyometric like explosive stuff I'm like if that feels good to you great but absolutely not (laughs) like I was there was no running there was no jumping none of that so I was you know doing like dumbbell deadlift curl and press and like Mm -hmm. you know body stuff and um, lunges if that felt comfortable squats when it felt comfortable um but it was way, way less. And that was tough. I'm not going to lie. like it, it, That's a source of pleasure and dopamine and relaxation for a lot of people. Um, and it's tough when you can't do it a lot. And it's tough to see your body changing and saying no to things you used to be able to do. Um, I think it's even tougher postpartum when you're like, well, the baby's out. I should be like back to normal. Um, and that's not the case for a long time. So mm-hmm. it was a constant practice in patients' humility, gratitude. That's like, there are still things I can do. I've got other mm-hmm. priorities right now. My fitness will come back in time. It is yep. what it is. Um, but yeah, it, it, there were times when I was like, I really thought I was going to be crushing this like physically a lot more than I was. And I was like, Nope, I'm going for a walk. And even that hurts. And you know, I'm going to do but what that's I can. Okay. Like you are
0: you were, you were at where you are with your season of like, Where do you feel? Do you feel like now you're kind of gaining some strength back, um, getting into a little bit more of a routine.
1: Yeah, so again, much more slowly than maybe I would have uh, assumed or guessed. Like I probably realistically was back in the gym after like 12 or so weeks, my, my actual Mm -hmm. physical recovery from birth was good. I didn't have any like major injuries or trauma that needed to like really heal. It was more just like, let your organs go back into place and chill out (laughs) for a bit. Um, so I was going back into the gym. I just was taking it very, very slowly. I wasn't really challenging myself. I was kind of more like get in there, move around a little bit, um, Mm -hmm. and experience what your body is doing now. And like the the lack of core strength is something that is quite jarring, especially for people who were into fitness and strength and working out before having a kid. Like I went back in and I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't do a proper um push-up from like a, a regular push-up without like major coning and like weird stuff going on. Cause I had diastasis, my stomach was stretched out, and it was very weird. It felt very weird, it felt unpleasant, and it was also again, like this humbling kind of not great feeling to be like, I used to be able to crush 40 of these and just getting into a plank feels bad. Um, So it was like a constant kind of checking my boundaries and moving back and moving back and doing what felt good when it felt good. I had a pelvic PT who walked me through the process of like, bringing the diastasis back together and bringing my core strength back, which was mostly, mostly breathing exercises, breath work, Mm -hmm. which I did for months and months and months. Um, and I would kind of just keep testing, like, can I do this without seeing coning or without some weird stuff going on in my stomach? Yes. Okay. I'll keep doing it. No. Okay. Do something else. Um, Mm -hmm. and then over time I just sort of, and again, it's like the exhaustion, like the first six months, even if you physically feel good, like, should you be crushing like intense Metcons when you're up every two hours at night and breastfeeding around? The clock i, I don't exactly. think so exactly right so so that was kind of the process of like the first six months it's like just move your body and try to heal and then mm-hmm. after that i was like okay now if i can find some time i'm going back to the gym and doing again basic bodybuilding stuff um i would say again it probably wasn't until like 10 months to a year that i was like i have the capacity the time and the strength to like go and actually try to like challenge myself in the gym again. Um, I think that's fair though. I think that's perfectly reasonable. I think that's appropriate. I think I I probably could have done it faster. Um, I didn't need to. And I feel like I am where I am now because I took it as slowly as I did. Um, And, you know, I'm not, I'm not where I was before, but of course there's also the element of like, it was a pandemic. I wasn't working out. I was pregnant for a year. Like I lost some muscle for sure. I lost some Mm -hmm. strength for sure. Um, do I feel like I'm like irreparably changed and can't get strong and fit again? No. And I feel like I'm pretty damn close to where I was at the beginning because I've done it intelligently and slowly. And I'm like, I'm still in this fun, like rebuilding phase where I'm like, okay, well, what do I want to do now? Cause like, I'm kind of starting over again. Like, do I want to get a strong squat. I haven't really been squatting lately. Let's do that. Like I'm working on some like lower body stuff. Um, That's so awesome. in this like new like- goals,
0: kind of like going back to basics where it's like, you get to kind of start with whatever you're looking for. I love That's that. It? That's kind of fun. Especially when we've been into fitness for so long. Like I felt like this over the summer, Where I'm like, I've been working out for 15 years. Like I'm just doing it because I do it. Whereas like now I'm following a different training program. Like I'm challenging myself in different ways. It's just fun to kind of like yeah. get into new things where you kind of, know and see why you fell in love with it and then get to challenge yourself in a different way.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great to move your body and exercise because it's good for you, but it can, Mm -hmm. you can get burnt out. You can get tired and bored. The same with nutrition. Like I get that people are like, what do I make? Because I'm so (laughs) bored and tired of the same crap. And like, there is an element of like, sometimes life and living a healthy life is boring, (laughs) It just is. Um, but there are ways if you have this sort of mindset of like learning and being a beginner and trying new things, there's always something else in the gym, physically, you know, in the kitchen, there are always things you can, you can learn and try to, you know, spice things up. So, yeah,
0: I agree. Switching a little bit to now. Okay. Now you have a baby and now you want your baby to kind of follow in your footsteps what does that kind of look like in terms of introducing new foods what is he really like how how do you kind of introduce these things
1: and what has
0: that journey been like for you
1: yeah so again it's it's a individual journey right like i think part totally. of my feeding experience with him has been what he is exposed to and also just his own personality so i'm fortunate in a lot of ways that he's a really good eater um but we my husband and i talked about this from the beginning that we of course want to set him up as well as we can we want him to eat what we eat i don't want to spend it's already exhausting feeding him and cleaning up after his food multiple times a day i don't want to make him a different meal too like i don't have time Mm -hmm. for that um and,
0: and yeah, I love when you post people. your meals. It's like, but like, it's like your meal and you're sharing, like you
1: made extra to like be able to feed him. Like that's yeah. ideal. Yeah. A hundred percent. And you know, I do have some like friends and other people who are like, wait till he's a toddler. And he goes through that phase of like, I only want to eat like brown foods. And I'm sure he will developmentally go through a phase where he's more picky. That is a thing that happens. Um, but you know, it, it's and I don't and again I don't want to be dogmatic with him either like he is gonna right. eat cake. he is gonna go out into the world and eat crappy food and I think that if we try to be too black and white about that stuff that's what creates these weird dysfunctional attitudes towards food when we're told mm-hmm. it's horrible or you can't eat it or it's forbidden like of course they're gonna want to go check that out but I do think that for the first couple years of a kid's life, there's absolutely no need to give them special foods just for them, um, bland foods, sugar processed stuff. They don't know what exists. They don't know how delicious a cupcake is. So why do that to them (laughs) early in their life when they, right. Especially when their brains
0: are developing and their dopamine centers are so much stronger. Whereas I think because you're like, I remember one meal was like, I think you gave them like beef heart, sweet potato or eggs or like whole simple foods. super nutrient dense. Okay. You're, you're making his palate so much different than like ours probably were. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't remember what I ate when I was his age, but like, he's going to have such a different, like I think of how we eat now. Right. Whereas sometimes junk food, like it just doesn't even sound, some of it just doesn't even sound palatable. Whereas you're, because you know what like the real stuff kind of tastes like. So I think that's really interesting. I'm very curious to see what that development will kind of look like for him and what What he chooses to kind of grab because I feel like so many kids, if they eat fruit, like they go to fruit. They like cheese. They like eggs. They like these things that I love as an adult. But it's it's funny how they kind of can gravitate towards those things.
1: And it's interesting how instinctive it is too. So like I I ate all of this liver meat whatever while he was in inside me. So I think that had something to do with it. Um, And from the very beginning, his first foods were meat. Like I gave him like a big rib bone or something when he was five months old he was always he was a big baby he was a big boy and he was always kind of hungry so he he was interested in food from a, an early age and so you know the first they tell you like do this like cereal mush or whatever and he, uh. he yeah I was like I, I don't I don't know I'm gonna try this baby wed lean or yeah baby led weaning thing and so I gave him a bone to chew on and he liked that. And then I gave him like a big hunk of meat to suck on and he loved that. And I literally mm. like, sometimes I'm even surprised. Like I will put cod liver on a spoon and he crushes it. Like he eats wow. chicken liver, he eats everything, but he, of course he loves fruit. Um, He loves things that are like sweet, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. Which is why, again, it's like, yeah. I do not want to give you a chocolate bar that's cocaine. Like you can stick to the blueberries right. for now, but it is interesting that I'm, I do have a hard time. With vegetables. Like he'll eat starchy vegetables, he'll eat, he he eats really high volume because he's again like a voracious eater. But (laughs) like green foods, straight up vegetables, it's like he doesn't really recognize them as food. And I'm I'm giving it to him. Like I'm not gonna be one of these like carnivore parents that's that's too far in the other direction. That's like vegetables are bad and kids don't need them. I want to expose him to the widest variety. Of whole unprocessed foods, and if he, you know, and my even my husband and I, we eat differently from each other. He eats way more vegetables than I do, um, and that's fine. Like we we make our own plates, um, but he he isn't interested in most vegetables I give to him. So he's, interesting. He's like looking at it, like what what is this? Or maybe he'll put it in his mouth and then bit like <laughs> spit it back out. I'm Wait, keep like, well, why
0: could I have that when I'm getting all my nutrients from this beef bone? Where kind of how I, feel. which I, I mean. I kind of am like a very, I'm a very similar. I mean, I still eat them. I mean, th- sometimes it's weird if I like, don't, but it's, I'm, it's, well, it's very like a different. Volume than, like, thing. It's, yeah.
1: And exactly. like a variety thing. It's like, I don't, I would get very bored. I love meat. I would get very bored if that's all I ate texturally yes. it gets boring, you know, like you, and especially for the, and this is going to be an issue for him too, I think, cause he's going to be a big kid. Like you need more volume. You can't just eat like pounds and pounds and pounds of meat all day, every day, you want like texture and flavor and you want it, you need right. to eat more food. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still trying. And I put like one of his treats is I'll make like uh, popsicles. That's like Greek yogurt with a little protein powder and some berries. And I'll put like greens powder in there. And there you go. Like again, insurance policy. I'm, I'm fortunate yep. that I, I believe with like my experience and education, the things I know about nutrition I think I'll be able to avoid the fights of like our generation of like sitting at the table for 20 minutes because you didn't eat your peas. I'm like, I will give you all of these things to try. And if you don't eat them, as long as I know you're getting nutrition some other way, I don't care. I don't care. Exactly. You know, exactly.
0: Pick your battles. Exactly. Because then if you can stick to those things that are more nutrient dense, instead of like, all right, whatever, like you don't like any of these things or you don't like this one thing, I'm going to make you a whole separate meal. It's going to be chicken tenders. I can't judge. I'm not a mom. But I'm just saying I'm hypothesizing that, okay if he's not going to eat the spinach, but he'll eat the sweet potato, maybe like bone Mm. marrow and beef like that's pretty nutrient dense to me. That's much more nutrient dense than most I'm sure young kids are eating. So that's a win. Mm. And then that avoids the fights at the dinner table.
1: I love it. Exactly. And I know that there is, there's always like a financial and availability component to this. And for some people, it's hard to find organ meats. For some people, it's hard to find high quality meat. I mean, I would argue, and like prices are going up every day. It's not cool for any of us, but I would argue that like, you can still find ground beef at Walmart. You can still find things that are better options and you know, maybe we could do this again when he's a toddler and I can come back and be like, he only eats chicken tenders. But <laughs> I think I think that again, if they aren't there, he doesn't know what he's missing. It's this slippery slope of like, I'm tired today, just eat this crap. And then he gets a taste for it and then you're screwed. Whereas mm-hmm. there's never been a chicken tender in our house. He doesn't know that it's delicious. So he's not going to know until he's maybe a little bit more developed and he goes out in the world and is exposed to other things. While he's with me, he's going to eat mostly nutrient dense foods. And that's just what, what that's where that's the direction we're going for now. I'll let you know when he's a couple years older and a nightmare. Yeah, you'll we'll have see. to keep
0: us posted. But, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's, I mean, just thinking about it logically, it's, it just makes sense that he is going to be less likely to want to stray off. And even if he does, we all have those we all have those times in our childhood, but then we like, oh, the, you know, this doesn't make me feel super good. I had someone on my podcast a while ago and she kind of talked about like, okay, now that her son's a toddler, like, how does that food make you feel? And like, mm. kind of like teaching them to qu- kind of be in their bodies a little bit more. So they're like, oh, you know, I don't know if I want to have that. Cause I don't know if it makes me feel as good as this food makes me feel. So it's super interesting. And I'm excited to kind of go down that path someday. But, um, mm. in the meantime, Exciting. it's <laughs> great hearing it from you guys first. <laughs>
1: That's very exciting. I will. We will. We will all want to hear when that uh, journey happens for you. Oh goodness! I don't, yeah. I don't know when I'll be ready. But it'll be sometime. <laughs> you probably never. Probably never. You just decide. I That's know. You we feel work. like you're never ready, but. People, yeah. people were like, what's the like romantic, you know, reason you guys finally decided to do this? And I was like, we were two years into a pandemic. We couldn't do anything fun or travel <laughs> and we were getting older. We're just like, hey, you going to do this? We're going to do this or not? And we did it. And it was an amazing decision. But yeah, we were never like fully ready for it. We just went and did it and jumped in and hoped for the best.
0: Hey, I feel like that's, but that's the relatable piece to it. Yeah. You got to Sometimes I you just got to jump in. I love it. I love it. Well, we'll definitely have to. Check back in. um yeah. So, thank you for coming on and chatting. And sorry about the technical updates with these few different. I hope this rides. works I don't know out. What's going on? No, um, it, it looks, looks like all it's now. Okay. It better, it better.
1: If um, not, this we was just a had great, great chat
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> can you tell everybody where they can find and connect with you?
1: Yeah. So I'm uh because again I'm old. I'm not on TikTok. I'm only on Instagram. Are you on TikTok, Haley?
0: I try and I'm like I just sometimes don't have the energy to do it.
1: Yeah, I, it's like one of those things I wish I could do. I feel like it might be beneficial, but I just I don't have the energy for it. People I just look at TikTok videos on Instagram. Anyway, you can <laughs> chat with me on Instagram. My handle is The Muscle Maven and my website is just my name, it's just ashleyvanhouten.com and you can see more about um, my products and coaching and the books and everything you like there. And uh, I have a podcast called Muscle Science for Women that Haley's gonna be on in the new year. And uh, that's it, yeah.
0: Cool, love it. And I'll make sure I link the, I'll link all that stuff in the show notes and I'll link the first episode that we did together too. So if people kind of wanted to dive even more into muscle or uh, organ, organ and muscle meat, mm-hmm. um, they can definitely check that out.
1: Cool. Cool, well, thank you so much. Thank you for having
0: me.